Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. All right. Well, we are going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 17. So I'm going to have you stand up. Oh, yeah. I got, I'm sorry. I got a sort of like, hey. All right, I want, I, <laughs> all right, okay, ready, uh, all the kids stand up, and I'm going to pray over you, okay? All right, here we go. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these children, and we thank you for the blessing they are from you. Lord, you say that they are an inheritance from the Lord, and so Lord, we send them out uh, this morning to, to learn your word. We ask that you bless uh, Sierra as she leads them and teaches them. Uh, your word, Lord, and that they would go and learn and grow in the nurture and admonition of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, now you can skedaddle, and the rest of you guys can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Got to get one last hug there. It might, it's going to be a while. You're going to miss her. All right. You guys stand up with me again as we read the Word of God. This isn't for show. This is just to show honor to the Word of God. It does something in your mind uh, when you honor God's Word. It does something in your mind and you realize that this is something special. This is something important. This is the Word of God, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will indicate it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him. For the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is just wonderful, Lord, and we pray that our eyes would be open to it, that our ears would hear what uh, your spirit meant in inspiring the writer to pen these words. And I pray that our heart, Lord, would be as fertile soil and receive the word and that we would submit to it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so you may be seated. So Paul here in this passage is still in the process of straightening out the Christians at the church at Corinth, and uh, there have been divisions, there have been factions in the local body there, and he told them, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual men, but I couldn't, 
because you are infants, you're spiritual infants, okay? And he says, I had to feed you milk, all right? And Colton went over this a few weeks ago. We all know you feed infants milk. That's what they eat, okay? And um, moms, when you feed infants milk, you don't expect a thank you. And you don't expect there to be some sort of, uh, you know, uh, um, exchange in giving them milk and then all of a sudden they're, they're going to obey you, right? I've never seen a baby that said, why, thank you, mother, for giving me that milk. That was very kind of you. Now I shall do whatever you ask. That's, that's not how it works, right? Babies, uh, infants act a certain way. And there's a process of caring for an infant, and it, and it goes a lot like this. It's been a while for me, but it goes a lot like this. They cry, they nap, feed, right? Cry, <laughs> uh, change their diaper, cry. It's just kind of this perpetual, you know, um, thing that, that goes on and on until what? Until they mature until they grow teeth, until they learn how to pull up their own britches, right? Uh, until they do stuff on their own. And that is what Paul is in this passage. A, a 16-year-old that only drinks milk, well, that's concerning. An 18-year-old that's still walking around in pampers, that's disturbing, okay? And Paul is concerned and disturbed about the lack of spiritual growth among these Christians in Corinth. And he was rightly expecting to see some maturity from them at this point. If you look at 1 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you still are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? You're walking as though you're not indwelled by the Spirit of God. That's the way you're acting, okay? The fact that you're acting like the world, the fact that you're not growing, that is proving to Paul in that local body that because there are divisions among them, that they are infants. They have not matured in Christ and they are fleshly. You're arguing over worthless things, things that don't matter in the eternal scheme of things. And that's really the main point this morning. One says, I'm of Paul, says, I'm of Apollos. And he's, he's like, really? What is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants. That's all they are, okay? Uh, servants through whom you believed. And listen what he says. He places the emphasis on the Lord. The Lord gave to each one. Apollos water, big deal. God is responsible for the increase. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Do you see how he's turning their attention back to God? Your maturity relies on knowing that fact. He's, he's pointing them to maturity, recognizing that God is the one doing the work. It's His eternal plan. It is it is the plan that He declared, and it is the plan that He will accomplish according to what He has promised, according to what the Word tells us. So what part do they, what part do any of us actually play? We get to take part, but, but we don't pat ourselves on the back as if we're the ones who is responsible for the things that happen in the body of Christ. It's all 
and recognizing that is maturity for the believer. And it's all about him. And recognizing that is maturity for the believer. And Paul, through these passages, seeks to give the Corinthian church a mature perspective, an eternal perspective. That's the point. An eternal perspective equals maturity. And isn't it interesting that maturity and growth is always seen in the ones who submit to His will completely. Lord, anything you want, anything you need, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to give you my all, as the song said. Those who see the value that lies in eternal things and not placing all their eggs in the basket of this temporal life, okay? See, those who make it all about them have a shallow, earthly perspective. They're infants. Those who claim freedom in Christ give them license to sin. They're toddlers. Those who add to the finished work of Christ and they push legalism, something you must do to prove your holiness, uh, to, to rely on your own righteousness to, to measure up in this life, you'll receive your reward in this life like the Pharisees did. Jesus said they'll receive their reward in this life but they're not going to like their reward in the next life, okay? These self-absorbed, arrogant infants were causing dissension and factions within the body, threatening the unity of the family of God there in that church at Corinth. And our passage today comes with a couple of sobering realizations leveled at these Christians in this wicked city, but absolutely is relevant to every single one of us today and ap applicable to our lives as well. If you are a believer, there is coming a day when you will give an account before God and your works will be judged by Christ Himself. Everything you say and everything that you do will be tested and judged by Jesus Christ Himself. Now Paul here starts with the judgment of those teachers, the church planters, laying the foundation for the church. In 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Okay, so the church, the people, the congregations, they don't need to, to choose men to form an alliance with or align up behind and give them their undivided un, uh, loyalty. Okay, um, God is the only one who knows the heart of every single believer. God is the only one who truly sees the intentions of the leader who stands in the pulpit. So we should never again align ourselves behind them and argue with one another as they were doing with Paul and Paulus, okay? So we should let God hand out their reward according to His infinite wisdom. And you and I need to pay close attention to the Word and measure everything that they say according to the Word, and that is what I expect of you to do to me. I'm not expecting you to take my word for it. I'm expecting you to hold me accountable with the Word of God, all right? But here's the deal. You don't get off the hook either. <laughs> You're going to stand before Him as well. Verse 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So He transitions from an agricultural term that they all knew very well. Because see, folks, they didn't go 
punch a clock and do a nine-to-five job every day. They grew crops and they ate their crops. They grew animals and they ate their animals. That's how they lived, okay? And then, of course, there were tradesmen, there were carpenters, there were, there were uh, you know, uh, folks who did construction, and, and that's what he's doing here. He's switching over to something else that they would understand well. They've seen the cities, the homes, the buildings being, uh, being uh, erected around them, okay? So they, they know agriculture and they know this as well. So you are God's building. Remember, God's Word tells us that Christ is the cornerstone. And just, I know I've said this before, but just to clarify, back then to level everything out, they would cut a perfectly true and square cornerstone and they would set that as the cornerstone of the entire foundation. And then everything would be laid next to that. All the other foundational stones would be laid next to that. And that's how the whole building would remain level. Okay? So when it talked about Christ being the cornerstone, he's saying everything in the house depends on the cornerstone. If it's true and straight, it depends on whether or not Christ is the cornerstone. So uh, after Christ, he gave his authority to the apostles, and they begin to lay those foundation stones according to what the Holy Spirit gave them to write, which is the Word of God, okay? And they always were revealing the nature of God and the nature of Christ and the nature of the coming of Christ in what they wrote. Well, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 from that point, from, from Christ and the apostles, from that point, the church of history began to build this great household of God, this temple of Christ that has lasted now for over 2,000 years. All right? And this tells us, you ever wondered what the purpose of the church is? Uh, actually, Brett and I discussed this a, a few weeks ago at lunch. If you want to know what the purpose of the church is, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and he tells us plainly. Look what it says in uh, verse 16 of chapter 3. I write so that you will know, so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Well, what's the household of God? He tells us, which is the church of the living God. If you want to know how to conduct yourself as a part of the church, right? You want to know it, then here's how. And then he explains, he says, the church of the living God, and he gives this descriptive to let us know. The church is the pillar and the support of the truth. The truth. Not a truth, not variable truths, not my truth. The truth, which is the Word of God. So in this godless, wicked, dark world, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. The truth, that's our job. The truth is God's Word. Our whole purpose together on this earth is to support it, to lift it up, to proclaim it, to live it. Okay? And Jesus prayed, remember, right before He was crucified. And I say this often, I think it's so important to point us back to Scripture. He prayed, Lord, He said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So He made it very clear for us. The Word is truth. And the church is the pillar and support of the Word of God. So when we detach from the Word of God, we are missing the whole purpose and point of the body of Christ in the world. Amen? Amen. 
All right. I, I, that's so important that you guys uh, understand that. So let's look back at the text here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 again. Look, if we all are founded on the Word, look what it says, and by common confession, by common confession, we are supposed to believe and confess the same doctrines, the same doctrines. Why are there 15 million different denominations? Because somewhere along the way, some dude decided he was going to start interpreting Scripture differently than they did at the beginning. And now we've got all different denominations believing all these different things, but we were meant to have a common confession. And he outlines it here. Great is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifested in the flesh was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. See, the truth and the Word is all centered on the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4.1 Listen to this. Now, this is important as well. As much as we are the support and pillar of the truth, how do we go about that? This is a responsibility that we have. 1 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall from the faith. Now, this is not talking about losing your salvation. It means they are abandoning the faith, that common confession, the things that Jesus and the apostles taught. They're walking away from it. They're getting off other things. Look at what it says here. It says, uh, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the hypocrisy of liars who have been seared in their own conscience. Okay? So part of our responsibility is to point out these doctrines of demons, these lies, these things that are leading the church astray. Okay, look at 1 Timothy 4, 6. He says, In pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So look, if you decide to ever point out that what so-and-so preacher said is not biblical, you better expect to get smacked around a little bit, okay? Because that's not really what people enjoy these days. They want it all to be about hugs and cuddles and, you know, let's just encourage one another. Let's not get negative. And I get that. I don't want to be negative. But the church is the support and pillar of the truth. That's our job. If we do this, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. It says, being nourished on the words of the faith, that common, that common belief in the Word of God, and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. You see what he's laying out there? It's all about sound doctrine. Being nourished by sound doctrine, you will see false doctrine very, very clearly. But if you don't ever study your Bible and you don't know the Bible, then you will be easily led astray because you don't know when somebody's telling you a lie. Okay? If you know what the truth is, you will easily be able to see the counterfeits. 1 Timothy 4, 7. But refuse godless myths fit only for old women. You know, this is a few times the Bible says old women. I'm like, man, old women get bad raps in the Bible. You know, I've known a lot of wonderful godly old women. But apparently, in this case, this meant that old women were those who were acting on in their flesh and they were gossiping and they were actually talking about things that were ungodly and that's what he's talking about. Don't be caught up in these myths, even, even like um, paranormal type stuff, okay, that often people get involved in. Um, on the other hand, it says, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. If we're all being honest and we look at our lives, how many of us in this room are training ourselves for the purpose purpose of godliness. Are we? Am I? 
It's okay to take stock of your life. It's okay to look at your life and say, okay, Lord, no, I, I'm, I'm really not, I haven't been training myself for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4.8, for, I love this. This gives me an excuse not to go run on a treadmill. For bodily training is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life. So you're, you're going to get benefit from it now and also for the life to come. Look, you can strive in worldly ambition like the world does and you can achieve many different forms of success here. If you ask young people today, they did a survey several years back, and at that time, 85% of them, their goal in life was to be YouTube famous or to, to be some sort of influencer. They all want to be known. I wonder why that is. Maybe because we've raised our kids telling them that you're going to change the world. You're going to do amazing things. Well, sometimes changing the world and doing amazing things is leading a quiet life with a family at home. Just loving your kids and loving your husband and loving your wife. That changes the world. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Okay? So you can build your bank account. You can build your phone. You can build your influence. But those things, the Bible says, only hold promise for this life. They, have, they are worthless in the life to come. Okay? We have... Listen. We all have eternity ahead of us. Eternity is ahead of us. So grow up, mature, because only godliness holds the promise of value in the life to come. Amen? Amen. Look here in the text, 1 Timothy 4, verse 9. 1 Timothy 4, 9, and you tell me if I'm wrong. It's a trustworthy saying and deserving full acceptance. So this is something the body ought to accept, embrace fully. For it is for this, for Godliness, that we labor and we strive. We're training because we've, we've fixed our hope in God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So we fixed our hope on Him. He is the only foundation that should be laid in our life, and that is what we should build our life upon. Verse 11 of chapter 4, Command and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. As he, Paul was writing to Timothy, Timothy was in his 30s. That was considered youthfulness at that time. He said, let, look, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but show yourself as a model to those who believe in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. How do we train ourselves in that way? Commit yourselves to those areas to be an example in those areas. And, and listen what he says, And until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. And again, that's encouragement and admonishment with Scripture and the teaching of Scripture. Okay? So be mature. Be faithful. Read and study the Word together and do that. That's what your life is all about. That's what it should all be about. The focus of our life ought to be those things, training ourselves in godliness. Now look back at the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. We go back to our main text, and we see this 
parallel between the Scriptures I'm showing you in the other epistles and what we're reading here in 1 Corinthians. Verse 10, Each man must be careful how he builds on this foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you lay any other foundation in your life, what did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Yes, I know it's selfish. Yes, I know it sounds arrogant. Yes, I know it sounds unloving. But there's only one way to live eternally with God, and it is through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation that we can lay, okay? And he says if anybody builds on that, once you're saved, once you've placed your faith in His finished work on the cross, and He is now your Savior, and then you submit to Him as your supreme master and authority in your life, and you make Him your Lord, then you begin to build on that foundation with your life. And everything you say and everything you do, with your husband, with your wife, with your children, in your job, everything that you do is either gold, silver, precious stones, the things of eternal value, or wood, hay, and stubble, which have some value here in this life, but in eternity they burn up and, and it's worthless. Do you understand what he's saying here? So in verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire. Your, the genuineness of your works, why you did what you did, will be made known. It will be laid bare before Christ. It says, And the fire itself will test the quality, the genuineness of each man's work. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. I like this a lot. Because it means a person can know Christ and, and totally blow it in the works. They can actually be... Selfish. I'm not saying wicked, but I'm saying there's at least, uh, it looks like hope here for some people who have lived their life and yet their work is burned up. They just completely blew it. It says, yet he himself will be saved, yet though as escaping through fire, like a house burning down around them and they barely narrowly escape. I don't want to be in that category, do you? Uh so we're built upon the same foundation that Jesus and Paul and the apostles laid. And when it comes to that, listen, here's, this is important. There's a legitimate ambition for the Christian, for the believer. A godly ambition, and I want to point that out here in, in the next passage. But, but knowing that death is coming for each and every one of us, knowing that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment... Paul says in Romans 14.10, to all believers, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And knowing these things, then just ask yourself this question, how then should I be living my life? How should I be living my life? Where should I be spending my time? What should I be placing my resources into in this life? Okay? If Listen, if we die unexpectedly, and let's not pretend that there have not been people that we know that have died unexpectedly in the last two years. If we die unexpectedly, there is no time left to prepare for this day. And if the Lord comes, as He promised He would, like a thief in the night, He comes suddenly, guess what? There will be no time left to prepare. Today is the day we begin. Today is the day we start. The time is now. 
The day is today that we begin to strive for godliness. Not strive to prove your worth. It's all in Christ alone. We understand that. But your lives should reflect the holiness of God. Your lives should reflect the desire of how much you love Him. Now, we're told that we will face trial and hardship. And in this country, we've enjoyed the last few hundred years of very little persecution. And the most prosperous, right, uh, most free nation in the history of the world. In the history of the world. And folks, the times, they are a-changing. <laughs> That's, it, it, you know, I look back in, over the last 35 years, and I've seen dramatic changes in our government and the way they react. And we've got, we've got people being thrown in jail, you know, for their beliefs. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 17 and we're going to go through chapter 5 verse 10. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 5, 10. Again, we're looking at the other epistles to see how Paul is paralleling this, our main passage. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They last forever. For we know that if the earthly tent, and it's talking about your body, if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, this we groan long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What is mortal will be swallowed up. We have pains and tribulations in this world. We lose the people that we love and there is coming a day when mortality will be swallowed up in life. Incredible. Our bodies, we're going to get an upgrade. <laughs> it's going to change in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible says when we see Him, we will be like Him. That body that He had when He was resurrected, when He was appearing and disappearing and walking through walls, whatever He was doing, we're going to be able to do that too. But all this mortality, this flesh that is stained by sin will be changed, as I said, in a twinkling of an eye. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5, Now, He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. So, you have the Spirit as a down payment that, the, that you're going to get to cash it all in later. You get the down payment of the Spirit, and eternity is the realization of all of it in your glorified body. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, the Lord with us, but we're not always with Him. Y'all get it? He's with us. We're in His presence, but we're not with Him. We'll only be with Him when we actually are with Him in spirit. It says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We are courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So, you know, this might sound a little strange, but he's saying, man, I, I would almost rather just die and be with the Lord. Like, he had it rough. You know, he, he, Paul had it rough. 
Some of us, when we live a really, really good life, it's hard for us to imagine actually wanting to be with the Lord to the point that it's like, hey, I could go at any time, right? But for the true believer, while we have loved ones here, the weight of our affection is here, but as we begin to lose the people we love and they begin to move over into eternity, our affection shifts to the eternal and we begin to long and groan to be in eternity. Not just to be with grandma or mom or dad. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we also have, listen, as our ambition. Here's the holy ambition. Whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Honoring Him, be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good of eternal value or bad, eternal worthlessness. And so the reality is, we still live in a world ravaged by sin. We still exist in this world where Satan blinds the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving. But we have the truth. We're in it. We have the truth. And our call is to spend ourselves, pour ourselves out for His eternal purposes, to grow up into maturity until we reach perfection when we actually gaze upon the face of Jesus. That's the end game. That's when we get to rest. Not until then. Let us not hold back. May we give ourselves wholly, fully to reflect His holiness. May our hearts cry be the cry of the psalmist when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the paths everlasting. I want to be pure before you, God. Look at me and purge me. Do whatever you have to do to make me more like you. That's our heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God, a clean heart, and renew a righteous spirit within me. I want to reflect Him. Let us not make life about worthless things with no promise for the next life. Let us make this life about the gold and the silver and the precious stones, a godly ambition for works of eternal value that, look, we get to lay it all down at His feet. We get to give it all over to Him. Look at the text in Philippians 3, 12 through 20. Paul is now looking ahead to his death. Philippians 3, 12 through 20. Not that I have already obtained it. Listen, he's talking through all of this, just like what we've been talking about today. You hear this language in this passage. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Like Christ grabbed hold of me for a purpose, and I'm running for it too. I want to grab a hold of it too. He's got a reward ahead for me. And that's the reason He chose me, and that's the reason I'm running, and I'm looking for that day too, okay? Brothers, I consider myself as having laid hold of yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I on toward the goal of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Let 
Therefore, as many as are full grown and mature, think this way, that we press on toward the mark. It's about eternity. And if in anything you think differently, God reveal that also to you. If, so we look at ourselves. If our mind isn't right, our affections are twisted up in the miry bonds of this earth and worldly things, pray that the Lord would reveal those areas in your life so that you can be free from that stuff. That's what he's saying. If you're not thinking right, ask the Lord and He'll illuminate to you the things in your life that you need to let go of. However, let us keep walking step with the same standard to which we have attained. We don't, we don't need a new thing. We don't need a new revelation. We don't need another breakthrough. We need God's Word. We need to stand firm on that and be the support and the pillar of the truth and let it transform us. And through that, God will use us to accomplish His will in the earth. And we get to be a part of that. Verse 17, brothers, join me. Join and follow my example. And then look here. It's the church. And look for those who the pattern you have in us. Find the true people of God and walk with them on this journey. Man, latch on to the people of God. Find the people of God and latch on to them. But there's a sober warning that we will connect to our main ta- uh, text here in just a minute when I close. In Philippians 3.18, verse 18 here, he says, Listen, for many... For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even crying, even through my tears, who are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their thoughts on earthly things. They set their thoughts on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings even more clarity when we look at our source verse in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know this? Do you not know how important you are? If you are a follower of Christ... Do you not know that your life could mean so much to so many people eternally that you can make a difference in their lives? True believers are built together into the household of God, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That's what this is about. We're building a household together. This is a local household, but we're being knit together, this family in Christ. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And we're going to close here in just a minute, but just stick with me for, for just a couple minutes more here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and, and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And when it says saints, it doesn't mean just present-day saints. It means the saints 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, all the way back to the saints that stood at the foot of the cross and watched Christ crucified. Having built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole thing is being joined together, it's growing into a whole 
whole sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are God's masterpiece. We are His work of art, a holy temple that you get to be a part of. That's you, that's us, a holy sanctuary. And Now in closing, I want us to remember what Paul said earlier in Philippians 3, 18 through 20. Philippians 3, 18 through 20. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, now tell you even crying as enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach. They just, they just want to satisfy their worldly appetite. They just want to satisfy themselves in this world. Okay? Their glory is in their shame. They're boasting and bragging about things they should be ashamed of. That's, that's what this is talking about. And then this, they set their thoughts on earthly things. It is wickedness to only live for the here and now. That's what this is telling us. As followers of Christ, we must have an eternal perspective. With eternity in our hearts, every day we live, knowing that every person that we come across could actually spend eternity separated from God. And perhaps you are the person that He has called to have an influence in their life to where they would accept Christ and they would be part of the household of God. But let's look at the parallel as we close in 1 Corinthians 3, 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 17. He has a warning. If any man destroys the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him, for the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. So to the wolves out there, the posers who crept in and called themselves godly men, they're out there. The Bible tells us over and over and over again. It says, if you dare lift your hand against the church of the living God, if you dare tamper with His message or lead His people astray, if you cause dissension and division in the body of Christ, you are an enemy of the cross. But we are the sanctuary of God. And it is my hope that your ambition would be to reflect that. That we're holy. He's holy and we are to be holy in reflection of Him. May we grow up into maturity and godliness. Let us labor and strive to reflect Him in this life. Having fixed our hope on the living God who's the Savior of all men, let us live well for Him, building with gold, silver, and precious stones, the things of eternal value. And just think about it throughout your day, throughout your week. Am I building my own empire or am I building God's holy temple in the things that I say and the things that I do? Let us live with eternal purpose so we may die with confidence, knowing that when we stand before God, He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And those rewards that we're given, we'll be able to cast them at the feet of Jesus. What a beautiful thing. Amen? Let's pray.